right. Well, as you know, we started a new series. And in our new series, which is the uh, doctrine uh, that we have in our faith and practice, uh, we're covering the ten, ten of them, and I'm going to get to do number two. And that says, faith expressed you know, in our doctrine here is God's revelation in Christ. Now, you can follow along if you happen to have picked up one of our guides in the back, because I'm pretty much going to be going right out of that. And the last one that I preached on, this thing shrunk. That's okay. That's okay. Okay, fine. I'll stand way back here. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Keep going. <laughs> At some point. At some point. Oh, go ahead. Continue. Continue, Continue on. on. Yeah. <laughs> You'll figure it out. All right. So uh, you can follow along because mostly is that. Now, the last one, the last time I preached, it happened to be out of a different series in Acts, and it happened to have been the one that I wrote out of Acts. Now, of course, Kevin keeps telling me that's uh, purely coincidental and, and just happens to work out that way, which actually for me works out really good because it certainly cuts down on the amount of extra studying time I'm going to have to do because it's already done. Yes, so this worked out pretty good. I don't know if this is going to work out that good, but the, the, the teaching part's going to be just fine. Okay. Um, all right. So, out of my notes, part of this a whole section, and, and I think Kevin mentioned it last week, and I encourage you to do this, is to read the Richmond Declaration of Faith, if you have not done that. Uh, 1887, this came out of the Richmond Conference. I'm going to read this very short thing for you. A conference of 95 delegates appointed by 12 friends, Quaker yearly meetings representing the Orthodox branch of friends across the world, met in Richmond, Indiana, in September of 1887, this conference issued a Declaration of Faith, which has been widely used by Orthodox friends ever since. This is one of the three major doctrinal documents of Orthodox friends. The others are the letter of the governor of Barbados and the essential truths. Okay. Now, I suggest you read all of them. They're really good reading, a very important reading. And so I, I recommend that. So... I'm doing mine on uh, number two, uh, God's revelation in Christ. I believe as followers, we are daily informing the world by our actions of our belief. In other words, each day that we're out there in the world and we're presenting ourselves as witnesses of Christ, people get to see Christ in action through us. And so how we are presenting ourselves is important. How we go about our daily lives is important. And so I think understanding some practical aspects that our, our Quaker doctrine presents to us helps us in that if we choose to, to apply these things. One of the things as I was reading through um, the Richmond Declaration I was realizing, or it dawned on me, that there's similarities in other uh, declarations, if you will, called creeds, all right? And there's many creeds that are out there. And so one of the things that crossed my mind was the, uh, the Nicene Creed, which I'm going to briefly read here. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, 
of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, uh, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. As you can see from that, that what I just read, some of those parts are in that declaration. You can kind of discern that out of it. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is another creed. There's many other creeds that you could uh, kind of read through, and you'll see pieces and parts. It is a means by which we concisely uh, have developed our beliefs, okay? And so in some churches, uh, Greek Orthodox and uh, I think the Catholic Church, uh, this is a weekly reading, all right, this Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. And although I'm not one for going over and over and over on the same subject like they do, I find it interesting that when I had attended the Greek Orthodox Church with my dad, this whole creed's on the back of the church, at least the one that my dad was attending. And I would say to my dad, and I, I may mention in this church, I said, Dad, the, the whole plan of salvation is right here on the back of the church wall. How come they don't know that inside the, the building? And he goes, well, he had a long dissertation, but he said, the people are blind. That was the way he said it, you know? I was like, well, okay, you nailed that. All right, that's fine. I mean, all right, this is this is an unfortunate thing. We can read and say the same things over and over, say all the right things, but that doesn't make you a Christian. It, it requires that you actually do something called a step of faith. It means that you ascribe to and believe in Jesus Christ and that these words are truth and life to you. And so that's the important part of this. And so... I think that that's the key element uh, of this as I looked at it. Um, what to me is the critical essence of the entire ethos of God's revelation in Christ is Christ's statement to the disciples in John 14, chapter 14, verse 5 through 14. Interestingly enough, we were covering this in our Bible study back in the back, and, and we spent a fair amount of time on it. And so um, I get to do some more. <laughs> uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do know where you are going. Uh, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If ye had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He's speaking as God to Philip. You, you get that, right? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe 
that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that my, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Added the words, speaking as God. I'm just pointing out to you that many times we tend to forget that Jesus the Christ is in fact God and vice versa. And the Holy Spirit is a triune relationship. I don't claim that I understand that. Okay, I'd be, I'll be the first one to say, I don't exactly get how that all comes together and works. Very difficult concept. Yet, we know it to be a truth. Yet, we understand it to be part of this whole thing. Father abiding in me does, does his works. Christ is God, and the fullness of God is revealed in Christ. If we be in Christ, we be in the Father, who has indwelled us with his Spirit, by which we have all power over sin and the very sin nature of our flesh. Now let us walk it out. Ooh, that's a challenge, right? We can all agree with that. And that's the challenging part. We kind of touched on that a little bit in our, in our class today. That's the difficult part of this walk we have with Christ. Um, walking it out by faith and doing those things that we know we should do, with this, which is in the Word of God. It's a struggle that we all face every single day. Are we going to... Uh, abide in him and him in us and allow his life to come out through us because that's essentially what we're saying. We want to have happen. And sometimes that's very difficult to do. We in our humanity have the opportunity to intimately be acquainted with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who is our strength and our high tire at all times. When in the scriptures, as we allow more Christ's revelation to overwhelm our spirit, we then transmit that to the lost and dying world. That's how it's supposed to work. We're rubbing up against folks in the world every day. They're supposed to see something different about us. I don't know that they do all the time. I hope they do. And I hope they're recognizing that. Um, that's not to condemn us, but that's to point out where we're supposed to be if we're not there already. All right? And I don't know anybody that's there already. All right? It's just, it's just the way it is. Uh, but the reality is that's what we're supposed to be doing. We want people to wonder why we're different. Not weird. I said different. Okay, that's a, that's, There's a little bit difference there. All right. So, as I see it, God's revelation in Christ should be obvious to others as Christ's revelation in us through our daily communion with Him. 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on, his, fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 
I was thinking about this. You know, John no longer has to worry about that. He's already got it figured out, right? He's seen the Lord. He's, he's experiencing this, something we don't know yet. Uh, how that, again, is going to be, I don't exactly know, right? I don't know that any of us really do. We just know that by his word we've been sanctified. Through his word we are sanctified. By walking with him daily, we have this thing called sanctification. It's a process. It's not an overnight thing. It doesn't just instantly happen. And, it, and it's for all of us that we have to continuously work on that. It is that idea of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. It's a continuous relationship. And as we were talking in our class today, it's supposed to be a love relationship. It's, it's supposed to be predicated on love. Whose love? Well, he gave us that love first, right? And then we, therefore, are loving him. And so it should be a desire of our heart to love him, to walk with him, to abide with him. Uh, again, not saying it's an easy thing to do, but it's something that we should desire to do. It should be the desire of our heart. How do we know him? We choose to obey him, and thereby we continue in the sanctification process ordained by God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son, who sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, thus giving us all power to will and to do that which the Father has asked us to do. Follow him. We all get to choose. We're either going to follow or we're not going to follow. It's that simple. And so every day we get to decide which way it's going to be. Am I going to follow or am I not going to follow? That's how it works. In Christ's humanity, we can see our opportunity to overcome sin and darkness. How is that? Hebrews 4:15 and 16 put it this way. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As I, I was mentioning, and I've mentioned more than a few times, my, my dad would walk around saying, Oh Lord, have mercy. And uh, James Wilbright helped me out to find, he, I didn't know, but there was, it's a chant apparently uh, that I didn't realize is part of uh, a greater thing in, in orthodoxy I was unaware of. So my dad would always walk around, and now I find myself at my age, I walk around going, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And I'm going like, I'm turning into my dad. Lord, have mercy. Uh, but I can recognize what's going on. I, I realize as my dad got older, I can see why he wanted to have mercy. Because we know what is right and what we should do. And Lord, have mercy. We don't always do it, right? And so I recognize that mercy can only come from the Lord. He's the one that shows us the mercy. He's the one that shows us the grace. And so I think that's an important, uh, an important part that he's shown us mercy so we can show others mercy. Isn't that not the fact? That is the truth. I've been shown great mercy so I can show others mercy. I, I sure hope I do. And that's something I need to do and something I want to do and a desire I have to do that. Uh, to be merciful, just as Christ has been merciful to me. Um, I go back to what John said, if, if, if God could save a rat like me, well, then that's hope for everybody, right? Well, that was God's mercy. John recognized and knew what God's mercy was. And so he, he desired that, and I think we can recognize that too. Although I do not walk a sinless life, I have an opportunity to do just that if I choose to obey Christ not out of fear, obligation, or some other motivation, 
but rather out of love for the Father that comes through the Son and empowered by His Spirit. As I like to personalize that scripture, I read Colossians 1, 26-29. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifest to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches riches of the glory of His mercies among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, or me, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which His mighty works within me. And the psalmist, 146, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. We have the hope of glory within us, and we daily walk with the King of glory through his word, through our prayers, through our witness to the world around us. Those are powerful things that we all get to do because Christ's within us. I don't know if we recognize sometimes how much power and authority we do have. Uh, Kim, in her statement here, and and as sort of a statement of prayer, if you will, recognizing our authority in Christ. And many times we don't take authority over anything, even though we have full authority over everything, through Christ, not through myself, but through Christ. And therefore I have spiritual authority. That's why we've been given a spiritual authority, to exercise the authority. It's of no value to anybody to have all the authority of the world and never exercise it. What good is that? It would be like when I was captain and I never exercised my authority as a captain to command my ship and command those that were on my ship. That'd be silly. They'd be wondering, what's that guy there for? No, I'm there for a reason, to give orders, to give command, to give direction. And we likewise as believers have authority. But most of the time, I don't see, we're not exercising it. We're just kind of docile. Like, well, what will be will be. No, we have authority. We can come before the throne of grace and mercy. We can pray. And we can pray with authority, understanding what the Word of God says. I don't have to wonder if I'm praying correctly, if I'm praying out of this Word. If I'm praying out of the Bible, I'm praying correctly. Right? I don't have to wonder about it. Um, I used to have a practice, and I should probably get back into it, but I used to pray the Psalms on a regular basis. I would just pray through the Psalms and literally pray them. Uh, I don't, maybe some of you have done that as well. It's a good practice, particularly if you're not exactly sure what to pray. You know? Open the Bible and just pray the Psalms back to the Lord. It's a great thing to do. In the Richmond Declaration, we read these words. But not only in these blessed relationships must the Lord Jesus be ever precious to his people. In him is revealed as true God and perfect man, Ephesians 4.13. A redeemer at once able to suffer and almighty to save. He became obedient, Philippians 2.8, unto death, even the death of the cross, and is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2.2, in whom we have redemption through his blood, Ephesians 1.7, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It is our joy to confess that the remissions of sin which any partake of is only in and by virtue of his most satisfactory sacrifice and no otherwise. 
In other words, yeah, we're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. And fortunately for us, it's through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made on the cross. There is no sin so great that his blood can't cover it, can't redeem it, can't redeem us. We're not separated forever from the Lord. We have the opportunity to be with the Lord. We have a Redeemer, Christ, who revealed to us his creation, the way of salvation through the confession of our sins and the apprehension of his great and glorious grace secured for us on the cross through the shedding of his blood once and for all, guaranteeing our place in heaven with him if we will only believe on him. How incredible is this grace given to all humanity if we will only believe on the Son who is revealed to us through God the Father. Again, we, it's, it's like getting a gift. Uh, I've related this before. If you get a gift at Christmas time, you receive the gift. If you never open the gift, what value is a gift to you? It's just a gift. You open the gift to receive the value of the gift. God's given us the gift. Will you receive the gift? And many times when I'm talking to people that aren't believers, um, I present it in that way. I say, you have the same opportunity to have the same gift I got. It's right there. It's presented for you. All you got to do is open it up. It's called you know, receiving the gift. And it's received through faith. And that's how you get it. And that's how you receive it. And that's how you get the benefit of it. I said, we can talk about it. And I've had plenty of people that want to talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, that's not going to get you anywhere closer to the gift. You have to apprehend it for yourself. And that's a big part of it. Christ's sacrifice guaranteed our redemption, our confession of sins, and faith in Jesus Christ guarantees our future hope of glory and in a glorious reunion in heaven with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. This revelation of the Father through the Son was Christ's point to the disciples. I and the Father are one. Our oneness with the Father is guaranteed through the Son. We got the same thing. We get that oneness is guaranteed through the Son, through our accepting of what the Son did. So it's, it's all there. It's our opportunity. I've been intentionally mixing our relationship with the Son, with the Father, which already exists through the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer. Somehow we have compartmentalized, uh, forget about that word. Uh, can't say it all of a sudden. <laughs> Thank you. She said it perfectly. Okay. The three in one to just me and Jesus versus the world. I, I've run into a lot of folks like that. Oh, just me and Jesus. Well, no, that's not actually correct. That's, it's not just me and Jesus. It's you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that's indwelling you that gives you the abilities to do anything at all. Uh, so we, we tend to forget that relationship. Yet Christ made sure we all understood what that relationship was to the disciples. He was explaining it to them very clearly. Commonly referred to uh, the uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 reveals Christ's heart for us. Starting in verse 17 through 21, he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As ye sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for all those who believe in me through their word, 
that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. We're that representation to the world. We're it. You know, as poor of a representation we might be, but we're, we're still it. And we have the opportunity through the Holy Spirit dwelling us to present that gospel message, to give that hope to others. Our God's revelation in Christ is why we are seated in heavenly places, which is what my wife was alluding to. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man, so no man, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. It is our relationship with Christ that provides us with the benefit of being children of the King. How do we become joint heirs with Christ? Romans 8:17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified with him. It is our great high priest that made all these things possible as ministers on our behalf before the Father. Hebrews 7, commonly referred to the never-ending priesthood of Christ, reveals in verses 23 uh, 23 to 26, the former priests on one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Well, that's a mouthful. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. There's a lot there. There's a lot that could be unpacked and I could be going a whole lot longer than what I'm going to go. But the point is, we all have an opportunity through Christ's sacrifice on the cross to represent Him here. What an opportunity. What a glorious opportunity. Can't beat it, right? I don't know, and I've said it many a times in my line of work, my, my job as a home inspector, as, as Dan Johnson knows when Dan was working with me, first and foremost is I'm looking for an opportunity to witness Christ. Okay, that's, that's my job. It has been since I first grasped and understood this when I was 26 years old. When I first got that, I figured it out, sailing on ships, my primary focus was witnessing Christ to the nations. I didn't understand at that time what that exactly meant other than I traveled all over the world, as many of you know, 50 different countries or so or more, and I witnessed Christ wherever I had the opportunity to witness Christ to whomever wanted to hear it. Now, mostly it was my watch, office, uh, watch partners who were stuck with me for eight hours a day. So they didn't have any choice in the matter. They got to hear it all the time. 
But then they had opportunities with many others from foreign countries, foreign lands, different beliefs, different religions or whatever. That was my mission field, right? To, to do that. Now, granted, I'm there to work and that's my main thing is to do is my work. But in my brain, my opportunity is to witness Christ and I'm looking for that just half a, give me a, just a little bit of an opening and I'm going to be talking, right? That's what I'm looking for. I, I know not everybody has that as their mindset, nor does everybody have that as a, a gifting or a calling. I guess that would be a way to put it. But we all have a responsibility to witness Christ. That's, you can't get around that side of it. We all have that responsibility. And so I see it as that. We are positionally with Christ in heavy places, and Christ is interceding on our behalf as our high priest before the Father, all the while, we live here on earth as ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom. You guys know what an ambassador is, right? I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to meet an ambassador. I have, a couple of different occasions in foreign countries. They're representing the United States of America as ambassadors. So the people see them as our representations, for good or for bad, either way that turned out. And the interesting thing about that, when I would visit with these ambassadors, it was always a great joy for them to visit with a fellow citizen. The people they're representing. It should be similar that we should be fellowshipping with one another in a similar fashion as ambassadors Christ, meaning, meaning where it should be joy for us to be together as believers. And when we meet other believers, I don't know if it's happened to you, but it's happened to me more than a few times where I in, in many times it's you know during the inspection process, but I realize the person's a, a believer. Boy, that sure changes the whole inspection process. I'll tell you what, because <laughs> now I got a brother or a sister in the Lord I'm communicating with. It's a little bit different of a situation then. So I, I think that's an important thing as well. Um, I close with these thoughts at the end of the declaration. We would, with humble thanksgiving, bear and a special testimony to our Lord's perpetual dominion and power in his church. Through him, the redeemed in all generations have derived their light, their forgiveness, and their joy. All are members of this church by whatsoever name they may be called among men who have been baptized by one spirit into one body who are builded as living stones upon Christ the eternal foundation, and are united in faith and love in that fellowship which is with the Father and with the Son. Of this church, the Lord Jesus Christ is alone the head. Ephesians 1.22 all, it, all its true members are made one in him. They have washed their robes and made them white in his precious blood. Revelation 7.14 And he has made them priests unto God and his Father. Revelation 1.6 He dwells in their hearts by faith and gives them of his peace. His will is their law and in him they enjoy true liberty and freedom from the bondage of sin. I purposely put a whole lot of scriptures into this whole message and into what I had written because the scriptures reveal the scriptures. They clearly define themselves if we're willing to take the time to read them and study them. 
they'll give you the clear interpretation. We have great opportunity in Christ to serve him in a powerful way because he is within us through his Holy Spirit. And so we needn't fear when we're before men. We needn't fear what they will think or what they will do because they're going to do whatever it is they're going to do and they're going to think whatever they're going to think. That's not our concern. Our concern is to be light in a dark place. And that only happens through the Holy Spirit that's within us and dwelling in us in our relationship with him. I, for one, wish to always walk in liberty afforded me by the Son so as to be free from bondage of sin. Our continual communion with the Father is guaranteed through the shed blood of the Son. If we apprehend that concept in the clearest fashion, then I believe we walk free, for we are free indeed, John 8:36. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Father, we thank you. That we have the opportunity through your Son to be free. Free of all sin, all condemnation, all guilt, all shame. That we are free because that blood was shed on the cross for us, for the remission of our sins. We thank you, Lord God, that you have blessed us greatly through your Son. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that gives us direction and peace in our lives. Lord, we thank you for that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory that we have with you by knowing your son Jesus I ask Father God that you would be with each and every one of us giving us the peace and the joy that we need to have in our lives that would be abundant in our lives that it would be overflowing in our lives so much so that people would ask what is that Father God that you would strengthen us throughout this week that you would calm our hearts and our minds through all the trials and tribulations that we face personally and throughout all the trials and tribulations we see in our own nation. We know you are sovereign, that you are great, that you are mighty, that you are holy. We know that you are in control. In Jesus' name, amen.